Bible study series on loving God as the primary principle of the Christian life. You remember the account of the religious leaders who came to Jesus and said, what is the first and greatest commandment? Jesus' response was, the first and greatest commandment is that you love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is like unto it that you love your neighbor as yourself. And we understand, most of us, I know I'm preaching to the choir, so to speak, this evening. Most of us understand that being a Christian is beyond religiosity. It is beyond ritual. It's beyond a, a title or a name that we claim for ourselves. But it is a vital, interactive relationship with God through Jesus Christ. It is about knowing and living for a real person. And we can know, it, and it's an amazing thing, an overwhelming truth, that we can know the God of the universe, the God who created this world and spoke it into existence and, and uh, who is even now holding all things together by his powerful word. We can know that God. We can walk with him and talk with him. And it's a wonderful thing to realize. Uh, we have used these, uh, this uh, series, and we're on, I guess it's lesson, what do you have? Lesson five. And we're talking about delighting in God. But before we get into the details of that, let's, uh, again, I'll ask you to join me in reciting together the definition based on a sermon from John Wesley of what it means to love God. Let's say it together. To love God is to self-sacrificially commit oneself to delight in Him, to rejoice in serving Him, to desire continually to please Him, to seek one's happiness in Him, and to thirst day and night for a fuller enjoyment of of him. Amen. It's a good definition of what it means to love God. In fact, it's a good definition really of what it means to love anything as far as genuine love is concerned. You know, we've used these illustrations, but just to kind of keep you, uh, keep us all on the same page, we talk about the different things that we love. And uh, uh, someone may say they love chocolate cake. But nobody really loves chocolate cake. They just want to eat it. We can't imagine anyone nourishing and caring for chocolate cake. That's not what we do with chocolate cake. You can love your geranium or your rose bush better than you can love chocolate cake. But even that comes short. It's when we come to real interactive relationships that we talk about love. Loving involves a commitment to the good of the other party, the other individual involved. It involves uh, committing yourself to the good of that individual to the point of willingness to sacrifice yourself. A story that I remember very well sticks in my memory is a story about a man named Brennan Manning who 
joined the army with his buddy. They went in on the buddy system, and they went all through boot camp together, and they ended up going over to, I believe it was to Vietnam together, and uh, they were there one day in a foxhole just enjoying uh, chatting, kind of enjoying one another's company when a live grenade rolled into the foxhole, and Brennan Manning said his friend turned, looked at him, and smiled, and then threw himself on top of the grenade and sacrificed himself to save his friend. Brennan Manning said later on when he came back to the States and he went to visit his friend's mother and they spent some time together and they were talking and, and uh, at one point in their conversation he said he asked her, do you think that he, and mentioned the young man's name, he said, do you think that he really loved me? To which the mother almost angrily leapt to her feet and said, what more could he have done to show you that he loved you? He sacrificed himself. This is what love does. It is willing to commit oneself to the good of another to the point of self-sacrifice. It is to delight in. This is what we've been talking about most recently, to delight in something. And and uh, a few weeks ago, well, I guess we've been interrupted a few times, but a number of weeks ago we talked about this aspect of delight, that it means to take exquisite pleasure in something, to take exquisite pleasure, and uh, that is to think about, in our relationship with God, it is to think about who He is to us and what He has done for us and all that He has revealed to us of Himself. And then we delight in that, and that delight is never complete until it is expressed in praise. The things that, <clears throat> excuse me, the things that we enjoy, we also, we enjoy telling others about what we enjoy. And that kind of completes the circle of enjoyment. And that's essentially worship. When we come and we sing songs praising God, talking about His greatness and talking about all that He has done for us, that is one aspect of taking delight in God, in who He is and in what He has done for us. But another aspect of this is delighting in what delights God. It is learning to enjoy the same things that the other individual enjoys. I believe I mentioned to you the last time we were talking about this, uh, a story about Joe Stoll, the man who used to be the pastor at Moody Church in Chicago, and he said that uh, he had always thought that pets uh, were a useless waste of time and energy and money, and he just didn't have any, any room or any uh, thought of ever having a pet or enjoying having a pet until he met the young woman who would later become his wife. And she had a pet. She had a little doggy. And he said he learned that loving her was going to mean learning to love that little doggy that she loved. We learn to delight in the things that our loved one delights in. Let's take just a moment to read this passage of Scripture once more from Isaiah chapter 58. Isaiah chapter 58, it gives us the basis for delight, Isaiah chapter 58, verse 13, 
and 14. If you turn back your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, and the holy day of the Lord honorable, if you honor it, not going your own ways, or seeking your own pleasure, or talking idly, then you shall take delight in the Lord, and I will make you ride on the heights of the earth. I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob your father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. So the principle, again, as we've already mentioned in this, is delighting in the same things that that person delights in. So knowing now this principle, we can go back to Scripture and we'll find a number of places throughout the Scripture that reveal to us things that God delights in. And um, there's not too many of us here, so this should be pretty easy to do. I'm going to ask for, uh, for some help. And Brother James, if you could get this uh, red uh, cordless mic turned on for me. And I'm going to ask, some, ask for some volunteers to read some Scripture verses. And if you don't volunteer, if nobody volunteers, I'm going to start drafting people. So somebody better volunteer. <laughs> Who would like to read Proverbs chapter 11 and verse 1? Yeah, Sister Hembry, let me come back to you with the microphone so everybody can hear. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 1. Says a false balance is an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. All right, a false balance is an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. So what is the you will hear me better on that? What is the what is the principle behind that scripture? What is the scripture saying? A false Balance is an abomination, but a just weight is his delight. Could we say this has to do with our business dealings and our interactions with other people? Sure. Sure. And so God is saying he delights in our honesty and in our integrity in our character, and that is it, it reflects part of his own character. Let's see, what's the next? Proverbs chapter 11, verse 20. Who has that? Proverbs chapter 11, verse 20. Leah, I saw you. Those of crooked heart are in abomination to the Lord, but those of Blameless always are his delight. Okay, those who are blameless are his delight. So what do you think is meant by the word blameless? Blameless. I'm sorry? Without sin? Without sin? Okay. I'm going to have to maybe push back a little bit on that one. Anybody else want to, want to speak to that? Blameless. Without fault. Without fault. 
okay? Oh, I hope not. <laughs> Walking uprightly, doing what's right. Yeah, I heard several, several ideas mentioned. The, uh, as I understand, based on the uh, original language, the word translated there given to us as blameless, refers to having a clear conscience. Having a clear conscience. Now, we've mentioned this aspect before, um, not just having a clear conscience, but I would go a step further and say having a good conscience. You know, there are people that have a clear conscience, but they don't necessarily have a good conscience. They, many have a conscience that is seared. There are people that live wicked, sinful lives, and many of them lay their heads on their pillows at night and sleep soundly without any sense of guilt or condemnation. But to live blameless, and no, I didn't mean to, I hope I didn't sound too critical of any of your comments. Um, you understand, I, I believe the Bible teaches us that Jesus is the only one who's ever been without sin. Um, and for us to live lives that are blameless is to live lives that are without condemnation, without condemnation. It might not be a faultless life, but it can be a life without condemnation. And that is what God loves, what God delights in. Let's go on. Uh, Proverbs chapter 12, verse 22. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 22. I'm going to, just for the sake of time, I'm going to read a few of these. And uh, I'll, give, I'll give somebody else another chance here in just a minute. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 22. Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who act faithfully are His delight. Lying lips are an abomination, but those who act faithfully are his delight. Then let's go on to another, Proverbs chapter 15 and verse 8. There's a lot of these in the Proverbs. Have you noticed that? If you want to know what God delights in and the kind of life that we ought to live, the kind of characteristics that we ought to have in order to Delight in the same things, read the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 15, verse 8. The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but the prayer of the upright is acceptable to him. And I don't think it's too much of a stretch to push that to worship, to say not just the prayer of the upright, but the worship of the upright is acceptable. It is a delight to him. Not just our prayers. And so, as we look at this, you know, what category, let me ask you this question, what category does Proverbs fall into in, in the Bible? Somebody just... Wisdom, thank you. Wisdom literature. Proverbs falls into the category of wisdom literature. And so, this is... A, a related verse, it doesn't directly tell us about something God delights in, but it is related to this. In Proverbs chapter 8, Proverbs chapter 8 is about 
the blessings and benefits of wisdom. And in Proverbs chapter 8, wisdom is speaking. It's a personification. And uh, Proverbs chapter 8, beginning with verse 27, we read this. When he established the heavens, I, I, wisdom, was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep, when he made firm the skies above, when he established the fountains of the deep, when he assigned to the sea its limits so that the waters might not transgress his command, when he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I, wisdom, was beside him like a master workman, and I was daily his delight. So God delights also in wisdom. So anybody want to throw out a, a definition for wisdom? What is wisdom? Is wisdom different than knowledge? Sure, yeah. A lot different than knowledge. And I've seen people that knew a lot of things, but not a whole lot of wisdom. Seen a lot of people that knew a lot and didn't have a whole lot of common sense either. Which Common sense and wisdom are a lot of times the same thing. Not always, but often. I think one of the things that we can say easily about wisdom is that it is the skill of living life from God's perspective, from God's point of view. Some people would say wisdom is, is applied knowledge. It's, it's living out in daily life the things that you know to be true. And that, that would certainly uh, follow along would be the case. So God delights in wisdom. Let's move on. Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 24. Somebody look that up and then let me know when you have it. Jeremiah chapter 9 and verse 24, okay? But let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. Yes, yes, very good. In these things I delight. Let him that boasts, boast in this, that he knows that he understands me. Um, there is a related verse of Scripture in First Chronicles chapter 29, 1 Chronicles chapter 29 and verse 17. I know, my God, that you test the heart and have pleasure in uprightness. You remember what we said delight is? Delight is to take exquisite pleasure in something. So here, the scripture writer says, I know, my God, that you test the heart and have pleasure in uprightness. In the uprightness of my heart, I have freely offered all these things, and now I have seen your people who are present here offering freely and joyously to you. I think of this every once in a while, and I believe it was stated here in service not so long ago. It's, it's wonderful to enjoy the presence of the Lord, isn't it? I enjoy those services when God's Spirit settles in and we can feel that He is here. 
And often the saints are, are weeping or praising God or sometimes shouting, and, and uh, we delight in those times and often end up leaving or else hesitant to leave, feeling like Peter on the Mount of Transfiguration and saying, oh, Lord, let's build three uh, tabernacles, let's build three tents, and let's just stay here always. Um, but, you know, you can't always stay there. And what the old-timers used to say is that it's not about how high you jump, but it's about how straight you walk when you come down. And it's amazing how many people can get excited over things of the Lord and shed crocodile tears and seemingly be very intent and very in earnest and, and moved emotionally over the presence of God in a service or, or God, maybe even God speaking to them. But their heart never really responds and is truly changed so that they walk uprightly. You see the demonstration of whether or not a person genuinely loves God is not about the words that they say. It's not about their the, the tears that they shed or even maybe how they praise the Lord in church and lift their hand, but it's about their lives being transformed to reflect the likeness of Jesus Christ. God delights in uprightness. Hosea chapter 6 and verse 6. Hosea chapter 6 and verse 6. This is, this is one of my favorite uh, Bible stories because of there's a special word uh, that comes from this uh, passage of Scripture. Anybody have that? Like to read it? Hosea chapter 6, verse 6. Zeb? Let me reach across you there. For I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. So there's not even the word, not even the word delight there, but it says, I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice. Anybody know that word steadfast love? Some places it's, I believe the King James Version uses the word loving kindness. And it is the Hebrew word chesed. It's a guttural, you have to clear your throat when you're saying it. It's back here, chesed. And it is a, really, I believe God inspired the prophet Hosea and the whole story of the book of Hosea and the prophet Hosea is about God's chesed. It's about him showing loving kindness and tender mercies, and it is it is a word that goes beyond just being nice or being kind to someone. It's much more than that. There's a combination of several different concepts. There's, there's kindness, there is love, there's also loyalty. Loyalty that does not fail or falter even in the light of betrayal and denial. This is what uh, 
Hosea was about, and God sent him out to marry a prostitute, and she was true to her nature, and even after marriage and after children, continued to prostitute herself. And we find Hosea going to the slave market where his wife is there being auctioned off, and he buys her back to himself. An amazing picture of loving kindness tender mercies of chesed. God delights in this. Let's move on. Psalm 147. Psalm 147. I'll read that one. Psalm 147, verses 10 and 11. His delight is not in the strength of the horse, nor his pleasure in the legs of a man. But the Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him, in those who hope in his steadfast love. There's that word again, by the way, steadfast love. If you, if you tune in and look for it, you will find it all throughout your Old Testament. Chesed. So the Lord does not take pleasure or delight in strength, in physical power or might, but he delights, he takes pleasure in those who fear him. Now let's pause for a moment and talk about this concept or this idea of the fear of the Lord. What does the Bible say about the fear of the Lord? The beginning of wisdom, exactly. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So what does it mean to fear the Lord. Reverence, sure. To reverence Him. Um, is there maybe an aspect of actual fear? What we would term fear? I think there probably is. We read the story of Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6 when he has his throne room vision of God and, and the, these angelic and they're not angelic like we think of angels, you know, beautiful, white, and shining with wings and whatever. I mean, they had wings, but they had six wings. And they were creatures who had faces all around their heads. We read descriptions of them in other places in the Bible. And they're shouting, holy, 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 so loud that the, the posts, uh, the foundations of the temple are shaking. And Isaiah's, I'm sure, terrified. In that setting, Jesus Himself said, "Don't uh, to, to to fear, not to fear uh, the the demons. I believe it was, but to fear the one rather that can take your soul and destroy it for eternity." But there is another aspect of the fear of the Lord that I think is important for us to be aware of, and it's found in Proverbs chapter eight, verse thirteen. Proverbs chapter 8, verse 13. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. The fear of the Lord is hatred of evil. Pride and arrogance and the way of evil and perverted speech, I hate. So if we want to be people who fear, who reverence and honor God and live in a way that delights Him and where we delight in the same thing that 
God delights in, it means that we are going to adopt God's attitude towards evil, towards what is sinful and towards what is wrong. We're going to not only take pleasure and delight in the things that God takes pleasure in, but we're also going to hate the things that God hates. And one of the things that troubles me still about the culture that we live in, and it, and it seems to be progressive, is how accustomed we get to being exposed to sin, sinful language, sinful actions, sinful behaviors. And I want to be a person who is careful in my living to the point where I'm not so used to sin that it doesn't disturb me or bother me when I'm exposed to it. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and to fear the Lord is to hate evil. One more. Let me have someone, someone else to look this up and read it. First Samuel chapter 15, verse 22. If you need help finding that, you'll get that right before 2 Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 22. Who has that one? Or I can just read it. Noah, are you getting it there? Okay. So it's First Samuel fifteen twenty two. Very good, thank you. So if you did not hear that, it is the question that Samuel asked Saul, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings as he does in obedience? And the answer is obvious, no. And this again goes back to the idea of our, of our worship, our and, and you all know me well enough by now to know that I, I can easily, often engage my emotions in worship. And it doesn't take much for me to feel the words to a song that I'm singing or to connect with a, a truth or a passage and, and I feel it very deeply, I would say almost viscerally. It moves me. It moves me. But people, that's no good if I'm not walking in obedience to the Lord's will and to His way in my life. Um, it doesn't mean a thing unless it is transforming, unless it has transforming power. 
And so God delights in our obedience. I believe God does delight in our worship when it flows from a life that is lived in obedience, a lifestyle that is lived in obedience. We're connecting with Him, and then we are offering that back to Him and praising Him for who He is and for what He does. And then I believe God delights in our worship also. So let's summarize all of this. Um, How do we delight in these things? Actually, let's first kind of make a little list of the things that we've talked about. Um, Honesty, we talked about our business dealings. The Lord delights in honesty, uprightness, in the prayer of the upright. He delights in loving kindness, that is chesed. And let me pause here to say that is probably one of the most demanding for any of us to practice. Because that is that aspect is not just being kind and loving people, but it's being loyal to them in spite of perhaps their betrayal to us. That's, that's chesed, that's loving kindness. But it's something that the Lord delights in. He delights in justice, in righteousness, in the knowledge of God. He delights in those who fear Him. He delights in those who wait for His loving kindness. He delights in those who live in obedience to His Word, and He delights in wisdom. He delights in wisdom. So I'm going to, I'm going to give you one example, and then maybe, I don't know, some of you maybe have some ideas of how this might work itself out practically. One way that we can delight in what God delights in. For example, let's take honesty and uprightness. I've had this experience on more than one occasion, and I'm sure you have as well, where you are either charged incorrectly. In fact, Rachel and I were at a restaurant not too long ago, and we were charged incorrectly, and the amount turned out to be about half of what we really should have paid. And, and, uh, you know, they had swiped my card, and I'd signed the receipt, and we were getting ready to leave, and I was looking, just happened to look at that receipt and noticed that they had not charged us the full amount for what we had eaten there. So I got the waiter back over, and I said, listen, we, you know, we didn't pay enough to cover everything that we had, and so they had to I forget, they had to talk to the manager and what all was wrong. They, anyway, they got it all straightened out, and we ended up paying the full price for our meal and leaving. And the result of that, for you to say, well, you know, wouldn't it be nice to get a good deal? Well, yeah, it would be nice to get a good deal, but I wouldn't want to have a damaged conscience. I want to walk in honesty and integrity and an uprightness. And so doing those things is a way of delighting in what God delights in. So we have other examples here. Prayers of the upright, loving kindness, justice. Anybody have any idea? Let's just, I don't know, the prayer of the upright, or maybe you have your own own thoughts. What are some examples of that? How we delight in these things that God delights in.
I have more, of course. The Bible says to men that we are to guard our relationships with our wives, that our prayers be not hindered, that our prayers be not hindered. And people, I can't I don't want to make it sound like it happens all the time. It doesn't happen just all the time. But I can tell you the times that I have had misunderstanding or or hard feelings one way or another between between my wife and I, I, whether I spoke harshly or or whether I was too sensitive about something she said to me or or what have you. And, And... trying to go to prayer and devotions and read my Bible and pray in those times. And and friends, I can't get an inch past that until I, and I've, I've done it in person. I've called her, I've sent her a text, whatever I've, whatever I've had to do to say, listen, I'm sorry for whatever, fill in the blank. Would you please forgive me? And that connects, friends, to the prayer of the upright. Jesus told us if you come to the altar, in other words, you're engaging in an act of worship, you're coming to seek Him, you're coming to pray, and there you remember that somebody has something against you, you get up and you leave your gift at the altar, and you go and you take care of that relational difficulty, whatever it might be, and then you come back and offer your gift. We could go on, justice, righteousness, knowledge of God, those who fear Him, those who wait for His loving kindness. That's an interesting one, isn't it? Those who wait for His loving kindness. How do we wait for God's loving kindness? I believe it's trust and confidence. Times when life is going wrong and throwing curveballs our way and we don't understand why things are are going so wrong and so upside down and it doesn't make sense but we say lord in spite of the evidence i'm going to trust you anyway so let's wrap this all up how do we delight in god well to begin with we reflect we think about who god is for us what He does for us, and what He reveals to us about Himself. And then our pleasure in those things, we take pleasure in those things, and our pleasure is then expressed in joyful praise. That's that aspect of delighting in God, in, in what He's done for us. It's, it's no different than uh, you grandparents taking delight in your grandchildren. You talk about how wonderful they are and you can expend all of your emotional energy and your love and your care. You can spend all of that on those children without needing to invest any of the, the time and effort that it takes to raise them. After you spoil them, you can just send them home. We're experiencing a little bit of that these days. And that's okay. That's okay. 
you delight in who God is. We read this, in, in, and I know I'm out of time, and I need to let you go. Go to the Psalms. People, can I just encourage you, when you pray, when you spend your devotional time, don't just go to God with your list of gimmies and, and I need, and, but reflect on who God is. The Lord is my fortress, my rock, my deliverer, my stronghold, my salvation. The Lord is my light in whom I trust. Amen. He is a good God. He has done so much for us. We think about all the things that He's done for us and how He's given us freedom and delivered us from our sins and and how He's revealed Himself to us through His Word and through His Son. We ought to take pleasure in all of those things. And then we express that in joyful praise and in worship. And then finally, as we've talked about tonight and then a a few weeks ago, we delight in the same things that God delights in. We learn to hate the things that God hates and love the things that God loves. Amen. Let's stand together, please.